Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 301. And in today's episode, I'm going to uh, address a question that I got uh, fairly recently. And basically, the question was, how much training is too much? <laughs> well, you know, and then it, I, it was explained all that stuff that he did, which is like 15 or 20 retrieves. Again, this is for retriever stuff and all, all of that. So I thought this is an excellent topic. I think I'll bring it up because one, to answer this person's question, but also to bring out a, a larger topic that I think is like very, very important. So it's like how much training is enough? You know, how much is too much? How much is not enough? So the, the individual that addressed this specific question is retired. Therefore, probably he had a lot more time than most of us do uh, you know, because the short days and you work and it's hard to, you know, you're just lucky to get something in at all. So I know a lot of people are, but this affects you too. So if, if you're training too much, that's just like anybody. If you train too much, you know, there's some downsides to that. And if you do not train enough, there are downsides to that as well. You know, letting days or weeks or even months go by between, you know, when you're teaching your dog something is really not a very good way to learn. And even though I constantly tell people not to anthropomorphize, anthropomorphize, um, I'm going to do that a little bit because it just helps. In other words, I'm going to talk about humans with regard to the animal characteristics I'm talking about. They are not like us, very different, but it, it's a good analogy. So I learned to really pay a lot of attention to this. Um, when I, when my kids were younger, little, little, little kids running around, and I had an, an entire 16, 18 dogs to train, uh, it, it, that was, that's when I learned <laughs> how you can balance these things out and and actually wind up optimizing the impact of your training. Okay, so it, it goes whether you have all the time in the world or you barely have enough time, then really the approach is how do I optimize this? How do I get the most out of it? In other words, how does my dog learn the most, benefit the most, have a very positive attitude about it, and I'm not overdoing anything or underdoing it so I'm kind of wasting time because I'm not really making the progress that's available to, to make. Now most of the dogs that we're all training are are intelligent animals that's why we're training them. So if you have an intelligent anything, um, if you do too much work you just grind them down and you know it, it just wears on them and so they're not absorbing stuff they're just enduring what you're doing. And if you are underdoing it, then they're bored to death. They do a little bit of stuff, get a little bit of stimulation, and then it's over. And so you actually, you know, you lose a lot in terms of their attitude towards all of this when you do either one of those things. Just like, and again, I'm going to do the, the analogy now, but it's just like with a kid. If you have a smart kid and you, you're, you have them in a class that's going at a, very slow pace compared to what this kid is capable of doing, 
they are actually not going to do very well. They're not going to be paying attention or they're going to get a kind of a sorry attitude about being there because it's boring. And they actually aren't going to, pretty soon they're going to be inventing other ways to, to be stimulated, which probably don't have a lot to do with that class material. Uh, if you have, that is a, people can understand that with kids. Also, if you have a kid that's put into a class where it's going, it's, there's just so much. They go, first we go into this class, and then after that, immediately we're going to go over here, and then we're going to go to that class, and then we're going to go to soccer practice, and then you were going to take you over to uh, the, the swimming pool because you got the swimming thing, and, then we're, and you just do that all the time because you think, oh, we'll just get the most learning that we can out of all this. You know, you wind up with one somebody that doesn't get to just kind of be right and just kind of let me uh invent we're talking about human children now you want them to invent things to do you know those of us that grew up a long time ago man you went outside and had to come up with stuff because we didn't have video games and screens in front of us and all that so you had to you had to invent stuff that's actually a very important part of human development and in dogs they need some downtime they need quiet time they need time where they're not always doing something they're not always with you they actually need just like they would if they were in the wild just time where they're sort of in their own environment and they're resting and doing whatever they do in those periods all of that just like with us we humans is very very important so how much training is enough and how much is too much so there are several aspects of the dog when you're training that is involved. One is just the pure physicality, the athletic part, the being fit, the doing what it is that they're meant to do. Okay, that's, that's an important part. And I wanna break that down a little bit. So they do that, if they do that when not in conjunction with having to use their brain, in other words, if you put your dog out with the other dog or the neighbor dog or the dog park dogs, and you just turn them loose and they're running and chasing and biting each other and fighting over stuff and and or you know you throw a, a ball or whatever you throw over and over and over and over and over so there's just this mindless activity so we're stimulating the physical body and the mindless activity kind of thinking so you're not getting the benefit that you get out of the physicality because you're also stimulating a, a way of thinking and a way of using their head or basically not using their head very much in a, in a way that is not beneficial to some of the other training you're probably doing. So you have the physicality part, then you have the mental part. And I don't, often people do not think of this with their dogs, but you know, when you've trained hundreds and hundreds of dogs, how their brain works is everything. That's everything. That's the only way you're successful is if you figure that out. And the only way you're successful is if you connect with it in a way that's meaningful to that particular dog brain and way of doing things. So the brain is just like with people, right? Just like with kids. If you have a kid, you got to know, should he be in the accelerated stuff? Should he be in the regular stuff? Should he be in the go a little bit slower? This one just learns differently. It's not a negative. It's just the way things are. So you have to do the, the brain stimulation uh, and you have to do the physical stimulation. So 
the biggest bang for your buck on that stuff I have found in with my own personal dog. You know, I got a little field champion wiener dog. And it's the same thing with her. You know, I we do an equal amount of, well, actually, it's not equal amount. What I do and what I've done with every retriever I've ever trained is let's combine the fitness and the athletic part of this and also engage focus in having to think and be challenged. Now, now we're doing a whole lot more and getting a whole lot more out of it. If you, and I've said this countless times on this ser- podcast series, if you really want to take the energy out of a dog, or basically a human too, you want to take the energy out of them, then make them have to think. Make them have to think. And not just think for a 10-second span, but engage in an activity in which they must think. So I don't know if people, how much they actually think about that, but if you do that, the tiredest you'll ever be. I've run a marathon, and I've taken um, quantum physics final. Give me the marathon. That's all I'll say. That was easier than quantum physics finals. I, my brain, I di- didn't even remember what my name was coming out of that. It was so exhausting. And I've found that to be true of dogs. If you want to, you know, you got one of the high... the high energy dogs, you know, and so what does everybody want to do? Run them around and get them just always moving, moving with the chaotic mind thinking, which just makes it worse. Um, if you want to, if you instead get them into the physics work, make them have to think about stuff, you will find when you're done, done in the correct amount, we'll talk about that. They're just very happy to go sit down. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'll just I'll let, give me that quiet time that I hear about. So in, in developing your training program, whether you have time or have very little time, the best bang for your buck is always to have the physicality, the athleticism, and the academic part working uh, together. And I'll give some examples, some some examples for just anybody, anybody with a dog, especially if you have like a, a working dog, like a retriever, or a hunting dog, a dog that's, I can't do this with my little winter dog. Um, I can't take her out with the bicycle, because <laughs> right? that just wouldn't work. Two inch legs, big giant bike doesn't work, but it does with, it, it did, does with laps. Now I would tend to run. I, I run, you could walk, but what you do is you go out and, and we'll just use the bike, if you, but don't do it on concrete, very hard on joints and stuff on, on dogs. If you have a path or something, they have to heal. They have to be over on your left side. You can use the leash in the beginning. You're not going to go fast, right? You basically want a, an extended trot. You want them not loping, but you want them on a, on a trot beside you and a fairly good trot for their whatever their speed is. And they have to stay on your left side and go your speed. And when you go around a corner, they got to go around the corner with you. And if you have to stop because something's in the way, then they have to stop. And similarly with running, if you can run with them, they have to be at your side. They have to run your speed. If you come to an intersection, they have to stop. They stop. And then if you have to move to the left to get out of the way of somebody, they move to the left with you. So in other words, they're getting the, the fitness work and the energy expenditure, and they're having to think the entire time. That is a massively beneficial thing to do 
with a dog. What I do with my little two-inch leg wiener dog is we go on a walk. And there's certain places where she has like a regular dog, not the killer bunny killing machine that she is. And then there's other times where she gets to go in there and pop bunnies out of stuff. So combining the having to think with the physical activity, what that does is prevents enhancing and promoting the, the chaotic, wild and crazy thinking. There is nowhere in any of our dog lives where wild chaotic thinking is beneficial no place no place not in the house not in the yard not in the field not in competition wild chaotic thinking is nothing that serves the animal or us and so when you do things that promote that kind of thinking which is running around in the dog park or running around in the backyard mindlessly with the dog for two hours okay yeah they wear themselves out physically and, it, you know, the look at their eyes are kind of spinning in different directions because of all the wild, chaotic thinking. So I just want to get that part in there first. So we use, now the retrieving part for all retriever people listening to this. People really like to use retrieving to spend energy. And I disagree with that. I, 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 have, I have never done that. Mostly because I, we do retrieving because that's part of the skill set that we're working on. So yes, do some retrieving through which the dog is learning something. And even if you just have a hunting dog, you're not a competitor. You're not trying to go to the Triple Crown or the Master National or the Grand. You're, you're just, you have a good hunting dog. There is a lot of skills that can be developed in marking, right? You know, how do you, how do you hunt something in cover? How do you go through cover, angle this, get across? How do you, you know, you, when, uh, if you're just hunting and you shoot a pheasant and it goes 300 yards and then drops into a bunch of dry cattails somewhere, you don't know exactly where, it'd be really nice to have a dog that could run 300 yards out there, go into the cover and then diligently hunt the area where the bird went down and, or track it if it's moving, the wounded bird is moving. That is a skill and that is by practicing a lot of the things that you might encounter in hunting and of course those of us who compete you know there's so many things that you want to expose the dog to and then familiarize them with concepts ideas <clears throat> so that they can do well in the competitive area now when you're doing those kind of things setting up 15 or 30 or some large number of of uh kind of marks retrieves that you're going to do with them okay it's just too much so now we're going to not for you i could probably go teach you to go find something you know 15 times and your mind would be able to i don't know you might be getting bored with it but uh your mind might be able to handle it i'm going to say no with dogs that's why if you go with most pro trainers they do maybe two setups a day if that one at least depending on other things they're working on they may just do one setup set of marks which is usually going to be two or three at most four retrieves on that particular setup and so and that's you, because you want your you're hopefully setting up something that is a teaching thing not just a well let's just set something up I'm not something where gosh I really need this dog to understand how to go through cover and come out the other side and continue to hunt or how to go, go across the road instead of just run down the road, whatever it is, if I'm going to go teach this dog that, then set something up 
that gives them an opportunity to learn that. Not that and four other things at the same time. Dog brains aren't going to do that. Matter of fact, if you set up too much stuff, if you're trying to teach four things in this one setup that you've got, they probably won't get any of them. Because they got the first one, and then on the next one you did it, second retrieve, you know, it was a different thing. And so then that kind of shoved the first thing out. So if you, in a very uh, methodical way, think about things that you want them to learn in terms of marks, and then set that up, and then see if they are learning it. If they do, then move on to something else. If they don't, you can remember you've got to set that up again on another training session. Uh so that over time they learn this concept because just because you do something 15 times today does not mean probably almost for sure assures but that it's going to carry and it's set in there you've got to practice these kind of things with dogs so and just and you practice you know work on one concept at a time if they get up there where they're pretty advanced put in one that you know they're pretty good at and add another one that's a little bit different so this takes time and it takes effort to set stuff up, even if you're doing hand-thrown stuff. You know, hopefully you got some throwers or something out there to help you, but even if you're doing that, you can make it challenging that way. So now we're getting physical exercise and they're having to think. And if you have a dog that can handle, people do not, because if they don't go right to the bird, well, I'll just handle them to it. That just teaches them you're gonna do all the work. You only handle when you're doing marks if they're just totally lost or going to go to the wrong you know, completely uh, otherwise you need to let especially young guys let them figure it out if they go out to the area and then hunt in the wrong spot you know get them somebody to help them back over there there's a lot so much teaching in all of this so much in their little heads that needs to happen so if you do a ton of it they aren't going to really get that because oh, i'll just do it again and then we'll do it again and then we'll do it again so it becomes a non-learning kind of thing that they just do. That's not always a, a real good idea. If your dog has handling skills, okay, again, then if you're going to go do something with regards to running some blinds, go set up three or four, five blinds. Not the same distance. Don't make them the same thing. Don't do it in the same place because that is boring. All right, it's like dating a mannequin, just not the same. So you got to do it in different places and then work on a specific thing. You know, my dog, I, my dog doesn't ever go past basically 100 yards. Okay, well, let's put some markers out there at 180 and 200 and let's teach this dog and work through that if they don't go far enough. You know, if they're not sitting well enough on a whistle, that's your basic obedience. That's another great place to go work. So work on that, but just that. Not that, and then we're going to do 15 retrieves, and then we're going to, you know, get something so that you get into their brain. You stimulate the part of the brain that you want to stimulate. You do it in a way that is focused and calm enough and not overdone so they just wear out and quit even absorbing new information or new thoughts. Get enough so you make some progress and then stop. That's optimal training. Now, for people that have, let's say you got a little puppy or a young, very young dog, or you don't have all the trick training, you know, you can't do triples and run big blinds and stuff like that. It, it doesn't change anything I'm saying. You still need to have the physical, the athleticism, 
worked and you have to have the academic part, the brain part worked. So many ways that you can do that. Certainly if you do have a retriever, then they can learn to be steady, that you can teach them how to be very wise about locating things that are thrown. Okay, you can do that kind of thing. Um, you can do, again, the, the walk, the bicycle, the run. That's hugely beneficial. And I'll tell you, dogs love it. They get so much more open to everything else you're doing because that is such a natural thing for them to do. In, the, in their natural environment, if they were all wild dogs, they would be doing like coyotes do. You see them running across a large piece of prairie or across the side of a mountain. They're getting from one place to another. So moving over the ground is something that they do. So when they're doing it with you in a controlled and focused way, it just really reaches into a part of them that's a very good part of the dog to reach. You know, deep down into its ancestry and what it really likes to do. Do for the retrievers, do the retrieving. But no, more retrieving is not better. Teach something, get some benefit out of what you're doing. See the dog's skill level maybe increase. If it doesn't, you know what you need to go work on the next time or with amongst other things, other times when you're doing the retrieves. Use the retrieving for as much thinking and learning to use their eyes and nose because they have to think. If you've ever been throwing birds when dogs are out working, a great thing to do. Watch, you can just see the dog. Is he just running out here mindlessly, just hoping to come upon the, the bird? Or are they approaching it in a methodical, thoughtful way? You know, are they using the wind to widen their hunt and, and get more information? Do they use their eyes? Do they not use their eyes? They just ran over top of it, didn't even see it because they don't use their eyes. So much is going on there with these dogs if you take the time to look at that. So that's another thing to just work on developing. Even, you know, on a, on a young dog, we want to do that. Teach them how to use their eyes. Teach them how to use their nose. For example, how do you teach them to use their eyes? You throw a white bumper in the open. Maybe they have to go through some cover, and when they come out, there's a white bumper in the open, right? So they can see that. How do you teach them to use their nose? Throw the orange bumper in the cover. Now they aren't going to see it. they got to use their nose. So there's so many ways that you can break things down and approach it and think about it and get some good training in there. And if they, if they can't ever find that orange bumper, then let's work on the nose stuff. And, I, okay, I'm going to say not by spraying crap on the bumper. <laughs> if you have handled it, which you have, it has your smell on it, they're just, might be just lazy if they're used to just waiting to see the big white thing, if that's what you've always done. Or waiting to smell canvas, which absorbs more scent than a plastic bumper. So be patient and teach them how to find those orange bumpers in the grass. And you can. You know, first make it easy, then make it increasingly difficult. So there's some ways that you're doing training and engaging the brain and teaching them some things that they need to know. Now, every single one of us with a dog, every single one of us can always use the basic obedience, the single foundation of all of our training to get them to think more, to challenge them, to get them interested in doing stuff. 
basic obedience doesn't mean you throw on your leash and your choke chain and you walk around the block and make them heal and sit and call it good. <clears throat> that's just, that's boring. <laughs> and if you do that, they'll tolerate it because it's better than not, but you're not going to be gaining anything. But if you go out and get creative, I have seen some of my clients come up with some of the most interesting things to do that I never would have thought of with their dog to challenge the dog's thinking. So you have the tools of heel, which means be at my side, sit, right, which means sit down and don't get up till I tell you, all right, and then you have here, which means come to me or come closer to me, depending on the situation. So you have these commands to teach them a lot of things, to work with a lot of things. You know, people had to use uh, uh, place boards, you know, it, so that's like getting your bed. There's all kind of way. Teach your dog that when you say this, they need to get over on the bed or they need to get into the kennel or they need to go to a cer certain location and do something. Teach them, you know, that when you walk, and you go over, you go buy something like, let's say, I remember one time doing this with one dog where there was like some big rocks, you know, landscaping rocks. And I would walk right by it and they would move away to go around it. And I would make them go over it, obviously safely. You know, it's like when you're healing, that means you're by my side. You don't get to pick three feet out or three inches out. It's going to be in the same spot all the time. And so teach them a little bit of that. Do some games you can get, you know, bumpers and, and do casting and lining things that are, you can do that in a blizzard in the basement. Things that challenge them. There's a little bit of physicalness to that, but there's a whole lot of thinking. And smart dogs and good dogs are really, really enjoy that. So in any training program you have and in any weather and in any season and with any length of light in the day, that we have a good combination where the athlete and the academic are combined in some things that are challenging where they learn something where there is a you want to increase their skill level and I don't care if your dog's eight years old you can still increase a skill level or do some things to them that are interesting and different you can do that stuff in the house you know you can teach them to go get your kids, uh, uh, the little thing that you do the video games with, bring it to you. <laughs> so done. We're done with video games. That's it. There's just so many things that you can do along that kind of way to, to stimulate them mentally in all this. So, again, the training program, you need to have the athleticism. And athleticism is not wild, crazy running. Because, again, then the mind is wild and crazy. And, frankly, that's where a lot of injuries occur with dogs. People that throw balls and frisbees and the dog's jumping up in the air and catching it and coming down. Cruciates and elbows and shoulders and hips and, oh, my goodness, all kinds of, you know, that is not the movement of one of our dogs naturally. It is not. I, I, you know, it's impressive what those frisbee dogs do. But every time I see them go six feet up in the air and then land come down the landing and I just you know they're exceeding design capacity <laughs> but if they do too much of that so the movements that are most natural to our dogs you know and ours are, ours would be pursuing something they would be running four-legged animal would be running 
um, in a pretty much a straight direction. They are not going to be out there doing hard rollbacks and spins and turns. They're not going to be doing a lot of that stuff, even when they're hunting birds, right? They're moving naturally through the field the way they would if they were hunting for their dinner. So movement that is not injury-inducing, twisting, jumping, I, you know, I would just caution people against that. Not, you know, there's dogs that have done that all their life, never had a problem. And there's other dogs that, you know, tore a cruciate at, at 11 months because of some stuff they were doing. So, and something in their knees there. So I would go with the real natural movement and then combine them with them having to think at the same time. And when you do that, you do get a lot of benefit. And if it makes you get up off, off the couch or off the computer and you know, out doing something, it's a great benefit to you as well. But if when you stimulate a dog physically and mentally at the same time, that is the optimal learning uh, situation. However, it cannot be more than 10 or 15 minutes. If that, that's an awful long time. Uh, some kind, now running, yeah, running because it's such a natural thing. You can go run for a half hour, whatever you do. Um, but, or on the bike, whatever is, you know, good for the dog, that you can do. But when you're doing something where there's, you know, it's really academic, you need to, like the obedience stuff, the casting and lining, do not do it over and over. Oh, do not repeat any of that. Basically, don't repeat anything. Do it well the first time, the best you can. See where your dog's weakness is. Then the next time you go out and do that again. But you do not have that really serious attention span. Now, on a puppy, you have almost none. You have to teach them how to develop their focus. And if you're just running wild and crazy, ain't going to be much focus in that. So little puppies, we're gonna, you slowly teach them focus. When you get them where the dogs know stuff, you got 10 or 15 minutes, maybe, of fairly, you know, focus where they can really engage with you. And I would do it, actually, like if you're doing lining, casting and lining drills, I would do it in increments of one lining drill and maybe a casting drill, and I'd stop. And that's going to be, those two things are going to be 10 or 15 minutes, and that's it. Done. Class over. You can't, okay, now let's go do some real serious obedience. All right, now let's go throw some marks where they have to do something, you know, go through a fence safely. Yeah, I actually... I used to teach that to dogs too, if I could, for obvious reasons. But, you know, go, you can't, if you pile all that on, the cranial space, you've worn it out. The focus, it's not, nothing left there. So they're going to go through it and endure it with you, but you're not going to be getting the benefits you want. So how much training is enough? It's the one where you get the athleticism and the academics in there together. You do not exceed their attention span and you just make a plan for what you're going to work on uh, the next time and actually be working for stuff even if you just have a pet dog and you're teaching them fun stuff or you just hunt a little bit great there's so many skills you can develop think about your hunt and think about all the situations that can come up what would it be nice if the because do dogs just don't come knowing this stuff they just don't come knowing to watch a bird go down 300 yards away in the dead cattails and go to the area of the fall and then stay there. They just don't come knowing that. So there's a lot of things that you can 
teach them. But remember, the, the attention span, even on the older, you know, mature dogs, is still not what yours is. And when they do the wild and crazy stuff, then that is thinking that goes in opposition of a dog that you want to have that's very focused on whatever the tasks or its life with you. Got to be very careful about that. Make sure the athleticism is done in the most natural way possible in the things that they do, that they would do naturally. Swimming, awesome, awesome, awesome thing. But that doesn't mean throw 57 bumpers out into the lake to tire them out. You know, throw three out into the lake and have them do a triple. If they're white bumpers, they can see them. So they're kind of gaining a little bit of knowledge while they're doing the swimming. You know, if you want them to swim a lot, go out there and swim with them. <laughs> I mean, swim across the lake. But it's not just the frenetic, crazy, wild stuff. Because that just teaches them not to think, not to gain anything from this. Just, whoo, party. That's all it is. And it's much, it's much nicer if when you go train, there's a, some, some sort of a goal. Uh, some sort of identification of, okay, I think that's it. We've, we've reached our max here. And to keep that balance between those things. And then if it just seems too short for you, that's all about you, not about the dog. If this is going to be about the best thing for that dog, get it where they've gotten what you want out of it. And then you want to go take a big, long walk? Do that. That's great. Keep them in gun range of you the whole time, even if you never hunt, because that's a safety deal. Keep them with you and take a big walk, both of you. That'd be good. But at the same time, if, if you're just going out on a walk and you guys are going through the field together, make them stay with you like you would hunting. You know, don't let them get out of, don't, if they keep getting too far, then you there's something you need to work on. How to, how to keep them, give them the responsibility for staying with you. I have a whole podcast on that too. So that's this one. Um, I hope that's somewhat helpful. It, it really, their intention spans are not what yours is, are. So by the time you're getting tired, you've lost them entirely. And then you'll see why, well, they're not even trying. They're not even, no, you ran out of cranial capacity. And you, you just can't do that to these guys. Even the super smart ones will start to get a pointed diminishing return. You just don't want to hit that spot. So that's uh, this week's. I'm getting a lot of really interesting questions, so I, I'll keep going with this for a while. Um, I hope everybody is doing well, staying healthy and safe, and I will be back next week.